Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, Roll Tide, and welcome to another edition of BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. I am Kerry Clark, your co-host from BamaMag.com, joined by Thomas Watts back in the studio running the remote. He is with Touchdown Alabama Magazine, and uh, we are about to be joined by Drew Armand of AlabamaIntel.com. And we would like you to call us, call us, and call us this first hour because we are guestless this hour. We're just going to talk about the game last week and the game this coming week. The Big Heads Barbecue Bams Radio Hotline is 714-510-3707. Again, that's 714-510-3707. And we are now joined by Drew DeArmond. And, Drew, I'm looking at the uh, finals stat book put out by the University of Alabama Media Relations Department that we were handed a few hours after the game, and I still look with uh, amazement at Alabama 59, Texas A&M nothing, Kevin Sumlin's first shutout as a head coach, A&M's first shutout since Oklahoma hung 77 on Dennis Franchoni in 2002. Drew, that was Alabama football. Uh, there's no doubt about it, Kerry. Uh, I tweeted during the game that I felt like it was the the best performance of a Nick Saban team that I had seen during the Saban era. I mean, that's saying a lot, but, you know, they uh, – and obviously, you know, A&M is not the top ten team or final four team many thought after the week one, you know, beat down to South Carolina. But when you beat somebody 59 to nothing and eviscerate them like Alabama did – and in all honesty, it could have been 80 to nothing. Um, you know, you just have to give the team a lot of credit. They did not, you know, play four quarters of good football against Arkansas. That's been, you know, well documented. But, you know, they uh, basically decided to take it upon themselves as a team. And as I said, you know, it was on the players. I said this on the show last week. It was going to be on the players to step it up, you know, and uh, start producing and they really did. I mean, they stepped, They didn't play as well against Arkansas on the road, but they really decided to make a statement, I think, against Texas A&M. And I think they took the momentum from the second-half performance against Arkansas. You know, they were able to pull that football game out of the fire and then just kind of took it, you know, uh, out on Texas A&M. Now the only question to me left to be answered, Kerry, is can they take that on the road and play at that level? That's going to be a challenge because there's going to be 102,000 people, um, 90% of which are screaming against them and Lane Kiffin Saturday night. But at the same time, uh, this Tennessee rivalry has not been much of a rivalry since Nick Saban came around. There's been one competitive game, mm-hmm. and it was in 2009 uh, when Alabama blocked a field goal to clinch the win. Uh game should have never come down to that. Uh, Lane Kiffin outcoached Nick Saban that day, but Terrence Cody um, made a play when he had to actually make two plays when he had to block two field goals in that game. 
And it, it makes you wonder if Tennessee's kicker had not been injured, if he would have made one of those two. We'll never know. That's water under the bridge. A lot of people say Julio would have gotten him if Cody hadn't because Julio jumped so high. Who knows? Bottom line, you know, it was the one time since Saban got to Tuscaloosa that the game was competitive. And quite frankly, uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great rivalry historically, but Nick Saban has won seven in a row, as has Alabama, since 07 to now. And there's really no evidence that that's going to change this weekend. Well, you know, you you look at football games based upon how teams match up in the trenches, carry, and they just don't, you know, match up well at all. I mean, they have a young offensive line. They gave up five sacks against Chattanooga. Uh, Ole Miss just destroyed them last week. You know, Haynes got SEC Newcomer of the, of the Week. Just, you know, he had two and a half sacks you know, uh, against them. Kim Deach, he was in the backfield, you name it. Worley's also banged up. Uh, Jalen Hurd is a good freshman running back, but to me he lacks explosion. You know, what Alabama needs to do, once again, is make them one-dimensional, make them throw the ball. But I think Alabama is getting progressively better defensively, Kerry, and I think a big reason is the pass rush has improved tenfold in the last month, and I think a big reason behind that are three guys that, one, is having the senior year that, you know, he needed to have and is finally playing to the level of his, you know, ballyhooed recruitment in Xavier Dixon. And then you finally seen Ron Anderson, redshirt sophomore, coming to his own. People forget he was a five-star recruit out of Daphne High School, finally living up to that building, finally, you know, getting his opportunity with the injury to Denzel Duvall. And then our two guys, Tim Williams and Rashawn Evans, their reps are going up, Kerry, and the pass rush everyone envisioned in the spring is finally coming to pass. It is, <laughs> literally. And I'll tell you another guy that's playing, that's playing great, a guy arguably the most improved player on the defense, uh, went from looking lost against West Virginia to being an all-SEC type now and maybe an all-American next year. Hats off to the proud of Huntsville, Reggie Ragland. Yes, you know, Reggie's getting better every week. He's getting more comfortable. The interception he made to basically thwart A&M's best scoring opportunity was a tremendous play. Uh, you know, he's he's uh, he's doing a much better job tackling, being physical. I think it, the biggest part is he's not, you know, having to think anymore. He's comfortable in the role he's in uh, as basically Robin to Trey DePriest Batman. I thought Trey played his best game. I thought he was very active. I thought the whole defense – you know, was very, very good in the open field tackling. And I and I felt like the biggest key was, Kerry, there wasn't a lot of checking that went on. They just let them play. They went with a defensive call, and they attacked the opposing offense. And I think that's what they need to do Saturday and from this point forward. You know, we heard all over the off season and even the early part of this season how uh, Nick Saban was just not going to figure out the hurry up no huddle. Well, based on what I saw Saturday, uh, he's kind of got it figured out. Yeah, I, I think uh, Kevin Selman needs to learn what run the football means. But that's just my opinion. Well, I mean, most of the high schools in Texas do tackling drills, but you would not know it watching this team play. Uh, arm tackles, lunges, pull angles. Well, you know, and I, and A&M's defense is – they have a normally a good offense, Drew. Normally they didn't look right. right. But their defense is – they're tackling specifically. It, it's atrocious. Well, it really is atrocious. And you hate to use that term, but you really can't use anything else. And I'm going to be honest with you, Kerry, and I've been – I've said it on this show before. I have never been a Sumlin guy. 
I think he's a, I think he's fool's gold. I think A and M was insane giving him five million a year uh, because of Johnny Johnny Manziel, who in my opinion was a special talent. If you yeah. go back and you look at his tenure at Houston, he was a guy who went nine and four every year, and they gave up thirty points per game, and they outscored people. It's all he's ever done, and it's all he ever will be. He will never win a championship at Texas A and M. Any defensive player worth his grain of salt, and I'm talking about Malik Jefferson and Daylon Mack, I guess they think they can get on the field early, but anybody that is going to hide-strap their future defensively to Kevin Sumlin is insane because you're never going to get developed. They don't hit. They're not physical. All they worry about, they're the Bobby Petrino of the SEC, the new Bobby Petrino. All they worry about is outscoring people. You know, I had – so many people who I've known for so many years uh, tell me off the show, just sitting around talking. Oh yeah, we've uh, we've really opened the Pandora's box. We really uh, we really screwed up letting them in the conference. So they're going to come in here and just da 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 da. You know, and after the South Carolina game, I, I said, okay, maybe you're right. But quite frankly, Arkansas should have beat them. Uh, no question. We we manhandled them. We we took away their manhood, eviscerated them, whatever you want to say. You know, took away their masculinity, whatever they. I would have never seen that coming. I, and that that second quarter, thirty five zip. I, I mean, who who could have predicted that? Oh, I I, I agree, hundred percent. I nobody saw fifty nine nothing coming in forty five. You know, nothing at the half and fifty two to nothing after the first series of the third quarter. There's no way. I mean, you didn't. You, you thought Alabama could win the football game, but you didn't see the defense playing at that level. And then you didn't see Alabama offensively after the uncertainty of the Arkansas game. You were hoping they'd be more comfortable at home. Everybody knew A&M had struggled defensively. But what I think Alabama did, they just smelled blood. They, they came after them. They decided to have fun and go play. And A&M, and don't get me wrong, A&M had played seven, eight games in a row and had a very difficult schedule coming off, uh, you know, games with Ole Miss and State. But uh, bottom line, though, is that they, when a team quits, they quit, Kerry, and it doesn't say much for the head coach. And and with that, that coaching job by someone was Dubose-esque Saturday. Oh, they, they had quit before halftime, according to the Alabama they, players. They, 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 they quit the when it was 24 to nothing, basically. They didn't, they didn't feel like hitting anybody. They wanted to get on the bus. I didn't feel comfortable at 24 because I was there in 2010. Oh, I could understand but I, that. I, 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 but I guess a kid on the field that can kind of see what's happening and, and can see that no matter what they try, Alabama's got an answer on all three phases. And let's, let's not neglect the right. magnificent improvement in the special teams. You take away one kick return against the backup kickoff team, and that was a very, very fantastic performance by UA special teams. Well, I agree, and I, I I liked Christian Jones's you know energy level. I thought he looked more and more you know involved. I thought he looked mentally sharp. He, I mean, I was told you know well he bobbled the one you know that he returned for you know fifty or sixty yards. Well, the bottom line is he caught it, and then he made a big play. And so you have to give credit where credit is due. He had a good ball game. He looked like himself uh, from the previous two to three years, which is very very encouraging. Uh, as you said, until the backups were in, the special teams coverage was awesome. The only the only negative in the whole football game, Kerry, was the injury to Reuben Foster. 
And, he, like. and even it wasn't as serious as we thought at the time. Uh, it apparently was some type of a shoulder thing and not the concussion from the poor tackling. Right. He's uh, got a stinger again, and he's had a brace on his right shoulder all week, and he's not uh, been able to raise his arm above his uh, above his uh, shoulder above his uh, elbow. Excuse me, raise his arm above his shoulder. You know, he just can't he can't raise it above and. He's having a hard time, you know. He's basically being a one-arm bandit in practice this week. It'll be interesting to see how much he plays. Uh, that they may brace him up and play him. And then, of course, Alabama was very fortunate. Carry they dodged two bullets. Uh, Austin Shepard looked like a serious injury. Uh, ended up being a sprained ankle, knee, and, and uh, ankle kind of deal. But he was in a boot after the game, still moving around, and his, you know, his back going full speed at practice today. And then John Allen looked severe. You know, you were scared to death and they had to go get the cart. You thought he may have torn his ACL, but it turned out to be very severe cramps. Had to have two or three IVs. And by the end of the football game, he was back on the stationary bike and then walking around. So, to be honest, Alabama came out about as good as they could in that game uh, injury-wise. Yeah, I know a lot of married men who were never happier than to hear the word cramps Saturday night. (laughs) But it was about Jonathan Allen. We have a question from the chat room, Drew, uh, and they would like to know what our thoughts are on the emotion and the jumping around thing uh, that we're finally seeing from the Alabama sidelines. Well, I'm happy to see it. I mean, I know Nick Saban's been known for a business-like approach, but, you know, the bottom line is the fun is in the winning, and the, and you want to play with a lot of energy. And, 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 and I heard something today from someone on ESPN who's well-known to the college football world, and, I thought he made some very good points about his career and about college football in general, and that's Brian Bosworth on ESPN because 30 for 30 on ESPN will have Brian and the Boz coming out next Tuesday. But he said, you know, college football is about emotion. You have to play with emotion to be great. And uh, he, he said especially when you're considering the age of the players, that you know, these are teenagers. He made a great point. They asked him, if you could go back and do anything again, what would it be? And he said, well, I, I would go back and play my senior year at Oklahoma. He said, I, I tried to cash in 10 minutes of fame when, you know, I, I could have, you know, and I should have just been worried about being a legend at Oklahoma and playing for Barry Switzer and trying to win a national championship. He said, you know, I won two Buckus Awards in my sophomore and junior year, and I was so concerned my, with my inner circle telling me that I had to, you know, cash in and get to the NFL He's like, there's no way I should have done that. He says, I should have stayed in school. And I thought that was, you know, I hope he, you know, takes that message to other young players because I think some of them have too much of an eye on the NFL and need to, you know, enjoy the moment, you know, playing college football because sometimes the grass is not always greener when it becomes a business on the other side. And so I think that's kind of what Alabama, this Alabama team has done, and they started playing with a lot of emotion and intensity, and I hope it continues. And I think, you know, I don't think this team is as talented as some of Nick Saban's previous teams, carry. but I think I believe Coach Saban from the jump when he said that the, uh, the leadership and the attitude was good because when you handle somebody like A&M 59 to nothing and they have never been beaten like that under the, 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 head, the head coach, then that's saying something for your team and your program. When you factor in the experience, and the talent, it's probably second only to 07. But yeah. that's where the emotion comes in. 
that's where he was smart enough to adapt and adjust as a head coach to let the kids be kids, or as he said, let the horse run, uh, and it's working, okay? It started working in the fourth quarter of the Arkansas game when Landon intercepted the pass, but mm-hmm. it carried over to last week, and it carried over to the torment of the Texas A&M Aggies. And then it all goes back to what I just said earlier. Now the final step for these the kids and this football team and coaching staff is to not be conservative on the road and let it rip. Exactly. And um, this is about the point in the hour, if we were to turn the clock back from 8.16 on a Wednesday night central time to about 12.16, 16 minutes after noon on a Monday central time. This is about the point, Drew, where Nick Saban got tired of the Texas A&M talk and he wanted to move on to Tennessee. So we're going to stay on his page. We're going to move on (laughs) to the Tennessee rivalry. Uh, And with that said, before we bring on Thomas Watts to give us a scout, I want to remind everybody – this is the hour to make your calls. The Big Heads Barbecue Hotline for Bama's Radio is 714-510-3707. Again, give us your calls this hour at 714-510-3707. Probably won't take any more until after 930 Central. But get them in before the top of the hour. We'd love to talk to you. That being said, let's uh, let's bring on Thomas Watts uh, live to the microphone to give us a little preview of what we can expect from the Tennessee Vols this Saturday night in Knoxville. Absolutely. Uh, I think before I really get into the the scout of Tennessee, I do want to bring fans' attention to the fact that Tennessee has played a really brutal schedule. As of right now, as it stands, Tennessee has played Oklahoma, Georgia, Ole Miss, and will play Alabama this weekend. Definitely a solid group. And then they got absolutely shellacked by Ole Miss. That game, I was driving home went like, as it happened, so I, I didn't get to watch it, but I caught highlights. Ole Miss just physically annihilated Tennessee. It was yes. just just a brutal, brutal showing. But anyway, let's actually talk about let's go offense first. And I have said this, I think I've said this on this show at least three times, but Tennessee was the only team in college football that did not return a starter on either the offensive or defensive lines. So there's a lot of youth there. That translates mm-hmm. into sacks and, quite frankly, spotty offensive production. Tennessee ranks 70th in passing yards and a solid 120th in rushing yards. So you're not going to get an offensive powerhouse. As Kerry Andrew, you both said very accurately that if Alabama can keep up their pressure like they were asked, like they were with Kenny Hill, this game is going to be a slaughter. Justin Worley is not the athlete that Kenny Hill is. Now, You're right. To, to Worley's credit, even when he's been under duress, he has managed to complete 62% of his passes, but his yards per attempt is absolutely atrocious. It's barely even six. So this isn't a guy that's going to just light you up with long completions. You know, If you pull down their receiving stats, the longest completion that I can see is for, four, is for 56 yards. And anything past that, there's nothing past 40. So this is kind of a dink and dunk team. Uh, Drew, just to reiterate what you said, Jalen Hurd is, I mean, he's for a freshman, is a pretty real deal. But, again, there's so many problems for this team on the offensive line. They're just young. As good as Cam Robinson had been, has been for Alabama, 
one, Tennessee doesn't have anything close to him in terms of raw talent. But two, imagine five Cam Robinsons on the line. It, oh. You know, it, 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 it'll be awesome. It'll look great in two years, and it'll look amazing things even right now. But there are moments where you're like, what the way? Or, or you just get a little bit too big for the moment. That, that that's It's the natural progression of what you see with guys that haven't started a lot of games. So if Again, assuming Alabama comes out and plays with even close to the same amount of fire they played against Texas A&M, I, I truly believe that the four will be able to get pressure, and that will undo anything Tennessee really wants to do. It's it's so it's so tough for me to believe that Alabama is suddenly going to drop off a cliff because one thing I didn't really get to hit on with Texas A&M as much is their skill positions were monsters, like. Their entire skill position group, Tennessee, wish they had right now. So I, I don't like the transitive property, but at the same time it works in that if Alabama can stop A&M, Alabama can stop Tennessee. Now, the offensive side, or Alabama's offense versus Tennessee's defense, is a little different story as much as in the end. Yeah, they're, they've improved, yeah. I think. Absolutely. As much as... Ole Miss really did beat up on the Tennessee offense. The Tennessee defense did a pretty good job on the Ole Miss offense as well. It was only 14-3 at half, and that was because the two drives were off of defensive plays giving the Ole Miss offense short fields. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes me think that this defense will be able to hang with the Alabama offense. It's just the, que- the question is how long. Right. Um, you know, quick, Tennessee, even against the schedule that I, that I went through earlier, they're 19th in the country in total defense. That, mm-hmm. that, that doesn't yeah, – to do what they've done against some of the offenses that they've done it against is nothing short to me, short of astounding. I will say, A.J. Johnson, uh, he's one of the middle linebackers for Tennessee. He's going to be everywhere. If you're a fan of just – good linebacker play and Alabama gets up by a touchdown or two so you can breathe again (laughs) just sit back and instead of watching Blake Sims the Alabama offense just watch A.J. Johnson he's a very instinctive guy and he's probably going to be a high round pick he's been just a consistent rock I don't know if he has the record for like most consecutive 10 tackle games but the (laughs) But the guy is good for like ten to fifteen tackles almost every week. It's and Thomas, you know who his high school teammate was? Who's that? Blake Sims. <laughs> Small world. Yes. So they are. They will know. They, they might get to know each other a little bit because AJ is. He's a really good player for Tennessee. But again, Tennessee's defense is great up to a point, but. I go back to the defensive line thing. No new starters. Yes, they've been seasoned now. Eight. This is Tennessee's eighth game. You know, great. That's awesome. But Tennessee doesn't have the horses, or the horses they do have aren't mature enough yet. To me, this game comes down to if Alabama punches them early, they'll run away with it. If Tennessee can hang with Alabama, they'll hang until probably the third, maybe through the third, maybe into the fourth quarter. But it's just such a terrible mismatch that barring Neyland Stadium just being completely deafening throughout the entire 60 minutes, Alabama's going to get that one big shot they need, that one crushing uppercut, and then they're going to run away with it. 
Me personally, I, I think my score is going to be somewhere in the order of like 35-10-ish. I think that's pretty good. Gotcha. The, the Tennessee offense is just so anemic, and I, I'm, I realize that Ole Miss is like starting 11 or probably better than Alabama's, but even that's debatable now. But it's not like Alabama is going to have such a talent gap between them and the current Ole Miss front. Well, I want to ask you something, Colin. This, sure. is, this, is, this is based upon your scouting report, but this is Alabama defensively against Tennessee's offense. And what you saw Saturday, and as you told me via text in the press box, this is simply unbelievable. And I told another one of our frequent guests in the press box, and this is my belief, I, under any circumstances, does, I don't think Denzel Duvall deserves his job back. I know he got hurt. But if Ryan Anderson is back on the bench, it is a travesty. No, I completely agree. He has – and this this is something we can get into a little bit, actually, because this shows some of the evolution of Nick Saban even this year. One of the things that Nick Saban did in his recruiting, and you've heard me say this, I know, Drew, you'll, you've said it and you'll say it again, Nick Saban has started to recruit, quote-unquote, quick twitch guys. Right. And what that actually means is it's not – you don't want the 6'2", 260-pound linebacker. You might take a guy that's 6'3", 225, 230, and you're changing up the defense a little. You're adding more speed. Now, how does that translate onto the field? What you used to see with Alabama, what fans are used to seeing is the massive nose tackle to defensive ends to play a base 3-4, or they play what amounts to a 3-3-5 in nickel. That's what the nickel in a 3-4 alignment actually is. So instead now, the defense looks a lot more like something that Bill Belichick would coach for the New England Patriots. It's a lot more multiple. Uh, a closer, a closer reference that fans might be more familiar with might be sort of like LSU. Different coverage concepts, but a lot of the similar fronts. And that is a base 4-3. The 4-3 eschews the beef for a little more speed. And in doing so, you have one-on-one matchups. So if a Ryan Anderson or an Xavier Dixon beats their guy, the play is almost certainly blown up. And I do want to highlight a play. I'm going to go back to Texas A&M, and if, if – if, if fan, I hope fans remember this play. It was early on. I think it was the first third down of the game for Texas A&M. Go back and watch that play. Xavier Dixon rushes off the left side of the defensive formation, which is the right side of the offensive formation. And not only does he beat his man, he manages to bull rush the right tackle into Kenny Hill. It is, it's literally, this guy, this is a six, probably six, I don't know the guy's measurables, probably 6'5", 315-ish man, and he looked like he was on rollerblades. Mm-hmm. He was just going straight back. If your individual players, whether it be Ryan Anderson or Xavier Dixon, can do that to their, their tackles that they're going to engage against in Alabama's current front, you're hosed. There, there's nothing you can do. You have to hope the quarterback steps up, but you're probably stepping up into an A'shaun Robinson that's driving the pocket as well. And because Alabama's able to only get pressure with four instead of sending five or six, who the hell are you going to throw it to in two seconds? You might get a hitch. Okay, right. right. If you hit that one on a hitch. my question then. If you yeah. get that hitch to Marquez North, right. 6'4", 221, you uh, make who on Alabama is going to be covering Marquez North? Or well, you double them, which I hope they do. 
I think that's possible. Ironically, in terms of Marquez North, he he doesn't lead the he doesn't lead the team in receptions. He's tied for the lead, so it's not like he's a feature guy. Pig Howard is their leader, right? Well, Pig Howard and Marquez North are actually tied in receptions, and North has a few more yards. North has four touchdowns. I'm not sure how many Howard has. He, uh, Howard has one. Okay. But wow, I thought he had more than that. No. Well, the Tennessee offense hasn't exactly scored in bunches. If you want to, if you want to really blow your mind, they're 97th in the country at 24.4 points per game. Yeah, so right. I'll, bull, I'll bull your scout down to four words. Go ahead. Florida. This is true. <laughs> yeah, well, here, the thing the thing that's going to be the key is Alabama just has to continue to – I agree with Thomas. They don't really need to blitz too much, get pressure with the front four. Shouldn't have I think, and, and the thing And the thing about Worley is he's not very mobile, He's and he's already banged up. There's a good chance they could knock him out the game. And then the, the kid behind him is not an athlete. I think they're trying to redshirt Dobbs. So, uh, right now, the matchup is just not really good for Tennessee. And if Alabama – it's all about mindset for Alabama. If Alabama comes out with the proper mindset, then they're going to take care of the balls. And I think the people in Vegas got the got the uh, spread right. I'm, I'm leaning toward uh, a 34 to 13 type game. But uh, I just think it's a, it's a really good matchup for Alabama and one that's not so good for Tennessee. And I was going to say my score would be 31 to 13, Alabama. Right. I don't, I don't think it'll ever be something anybody's uh, worried really a whole lot about. But I'll tell you somebody that knows a little bit about the Alabama-Tennessee football series, which is a long and storied one in the history of Southern football, because he was uh, a manager on the 78 and 79 national championship teams, both of which beat Tennessee one of which had to kind of rally a little bit. Let's bring on college Big C McGuire from Greenville, Alabama. Big C, what's going on? Not much. Just got back from Montgomery. How y'all doing tonight? Good, Big C. How are you, bud? Good, man. I'm doing Big good. C, were, you as, uh, were you as surprised as we were with that uh, woodshed trip A&M got Saturday? Yeah, it was. I'm, I was pleasantly surprised. I like that. It wasn't a disappointment. And I think when I was, Saban uh, got the troops rallied around him or whatever, and they just went out there and decided to play football. And one good thing about Alabama is, like, when they played Florida, they had 11 penalties against Ole Miss. They had eight against Arkansas, had four, and the other day didn't have any. They can play like that. I mean, not have any penalties or hardly have any penalties and any turnovers. They're going to be hard to beat. Alabama will be. It's like a friend. They see I was telling during the introduction that uh, back back during the days of your uh, managing Alabama football, you you were part of two victories over Tennessee. But if I remember correctly, that one in 1979 was a little bit dicey. It was. It got real nerve wracking. Uh, that year we go on the entering the game, giving up nine points for the whole season. Like the first or second play from scrimmage, we fumble. They go up seven to nothing. Then they get the ball back, and drive it downfield, and blow up fourteen to nothing. And then they get the ball the third time and kick a long field goal. All of a sudden, it's 17 to nothing. I thought, oh, my God, this looks like blowout city the other way. And then drove the ball and fumbled it. And then we got uh, got an interception. And then Coach Bryant went for the juggler, threw a uh, Stedman, threw a 32-yard pass right down the middle to Tim Travis. All of a sudden, it was 17 to 7. Going in at halftime, and things started doing better. And then all of a sudden, they decided to let Major Ogilvy run the ball because I think 
three times he ran the ball in the first half, he gained 43 yards, so they decided to go with him, and Don Jacobs came off the bench. Next thing you know, it ended up being 27-17. Put a I seem to remember Jacobs, uh, Jacobs played a pretty big role in that comeback. He did. He scored the last touchdown. It was uh, went up the middle on a quarterback draw, and it was wide open like the Red Sea. <laughs> And uh, and just uh, the defense played better. I just I don't know they we were sort of shell shocked at first, but then after that it just everything started going our way. But it was uh, then I think Ricky I know Ricky Tucker intercepted a pass and turned that into points. I think that made it seventeen to fourteen. And then right before the end of the four, four, third quarter, I think we drove it down and Ogilvy scored a touchdown to go ahead. And then uh, uh, then Don scored one. Um, there in the fourth quarter to make it twenty-seven to seventeen. And for our listeners, the Don Jacobs that Big Sleet is talking about is currently the head football coach over at Antiana High School, which is having another good season. So uh, he's still very much involved in the game. And speaking of the game, uh, Big C, why don't you give us a preview of uh, this week's Talking Bama with Big C? Um, the matchups is, and I'm not going to give the score, but the matchups. Is that Alabama is 26 in rushing offense, and Tennessee, I think, is number 65 in rushing defense. Now, here's where the big deal is Alabama's number one in rushing defense this week, and they're 119 in rushing offense. Now, they're a little better on the turnover margin, but the turnover margin is Alabama's improving on that, too. Like the week of the Florida game, I think Alabama's like 106 in the nation. That's moved up to 88. So they're improving there. So I'm not going to give you the score. You got to. On Friday, my show will be coming on Talking Battle with Big C at www.jockjive.com. I'll give you the – you know, here's my prediction on that. So you got to tease them a little, as you know, on in radio land, big man. Yeah, you do. Teasing and segueing. That's what we do, man. That's how we roll. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. And then uh, for people in the Montgomery or Greenville area or even that want to go to jockjive.com, you've also got a daily radio show that you do. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can go to jockjive.com and go to Talking Sports with Big C. That's the radio show. Live from 7 to 8 a.m. Central Time. And after 8 a.m. Central Time, just go to jockjive.com because uh, we archive each show. So, And then on Friday, you're going to be on there so they can hear you after, uh, 8 uh, yeah, after 8 a.m. Central Time talking. You talk for about 20 minutes, which we very much appreciate doing you add to the show and the uh, and I'm glad you were able to talk, and I appreciate being able to talk on y'all's show. Well, it's always fun to, to be on with you. You always ask good questions. I always enjoy that. It's one of my highlights. I got to ride to work at my real job on Friday mornings. Uh, breaking it down the previous week and previewing the coming week, and every now and then we'll talk about recruiting, and pretty soon we'll have to start talking about basketball. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's always fun to be on Talking Sports with Big C. And uh, I want to ask you, Big C, uh, how have you handled the adjustment of going from uh, now that you're doing talking Bama with Big C? How have you handled the adjustment of working uh, and going from five hours a week to six hours a week working? Yeah, <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> I like that question. That was pretty good. I got a yeah, rough schedule. You do. <laughs> you yeah, do. but you know, but, Big but C, I do, I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful. Let me go ahead. I do, but I do do a lot of research and stuff, especially like for the uh, TV show oh. now. But I mean, I still do. So it's not. Well, I mean, you probably up. You probably up to seven hours a week now. Okay. Yeah, probably. Well, that's still pretty good, man. That's that's good. I, but hey, but we're glad to have you on here. Uh, 
our older listeners already know who you are, but our newer listeners are learning who you are. And uh, anybody that knows anything about the history of Alabama football, uh, you know, especially in the 70s, knows who Colin Big C. McGuire is. And we want to thank you for coming on, Big C. Uh, and uh, I I will ha- I'll holler at you uh, Friday morning. Okay, can I say one other quick thing? Talking Alabama uh, with Big C, we got a Facebook page. Like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Next time you link my name as the host of this show, use Carrie Elkhart so it'll go right to my profile. <laughs> I, I did that after you told me that, so I did it the rest of the way today. Roll Tide. So All right. Well, thank you, Big C. Roll Tide. Thank you. Roll thank tide. you, Big Bye-bye. Thank you, Drew. Right. Bye-bye. And, uh, yes, sir. Thank you. That's Colin Big C. McGuire, the pride of Greenville, Alabama. And we have another caller on hold, I believe, Thomas. So let's bring on William from Calera. You're live on BAMS Radio with Drew Carey and Thomas. Hey, what's going on, guys? Roll Tide, man. Okay. Uh, well, Todd, big, big win the other night. I loved it. Considering I was locked up at the house with a kidney stone, that trust me, that was the most enjoyable part of my weekend. Um, but Who really enjoyed it. Sam's you. <laughs> yeah. But uh, hey, I want to talk about real quick Tim Williams. A friend of mine had told me before the season started that he had heard he knew some guys on the team or something and said, you might want to keep an eye on this guy. Some of the players were using the word unblockable with this guy. Said the guy is just, and it seems like the past game or two or a few games, he is really starting to hit his stride. And if you go back and watch the rerun of the Texas A&M game, like Thomas alluded to earlier, talking about the middle linebacker for Tennessee, do the same thing. I think it's number 56. Go back and watch him on defense and just watch him come off the line of scrimmage and just, I mean, he makes it a mission to get to the quarterback, and he never stops. I mean, like some kind of a wild dog after a bone. It is just unreal the way that guy gets after the quarterback. And you get him and Rashad Evans together in the game, and that is just something to behold. And I was just, I was curious. I'm kind of hoping, I think we all heard the, I think you guys might have, said it before anybody. I can't remember talking about Saban and talked to the golf coach who mentioned the phrase, you got to let the dogs run, you know, uh, the horses run. You know, I'm kind of wondering if maybe that's what's going to happen and we're going to start seeing those guys some more, especially Tim Williams. I mean, the guy to me, I, I know he may not be the best run stopper or something, but what that guy does on a pass rush is just, if you turn him loose enough, it's going to get to be where quarterbacks soon as they get the snap, they're looking at him. Where is this guy coming from? So, so he had a great game, of course. Like you said, everybody had a great game. It was perfect, complete, fun to watch, really enjoyable. But, uh, anyway, I just wanted to kind of hear y'all's thoughts on that, talk about Tim Williams and what you know a little bit. And uh, I look forward to a big win against Tennessee. And, hey, guys, I love your show. It's, it's literally the best on. The, the regular radio guys are just – they have to placate to everybody and talk about how great Auburn is and all this other crap. But, that's why I love BAM's radio. It's straight up Alabama all the time, and I love it. Roll Tide. You guys have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you, William. Appreciate you calling, man, on the uh, Big Head Barbecue Hotline. That's William from Calera. Calera, home of Ronnie Clark, who uh, will be a big contributor in the secondary next year. But, Drew, uh, you've, been, you've been pushing for Tim Williams all along, so that, that call had to be music to your ears. Uh, no doubt about that, and, William, I agree. Uh, you know, he had to get through some issues. He missed all of fall camp, which set him back, uh, you know, and he had to earn his way back on the field, but he's doing that. And you saw him in the Arkansas game. He made a huge difference in the fourth quarter, disrupting the quarterback, getting after it. He has something you cannot teach. 
and 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 coach and that speed. Yeah, he just has a tremendous first step. And the thing about it is, Rashawn Evans may be even faster, but both of them are tremendous pass rushers, and they give great effort. And I think they play with emotion, which is you know been needed at Alabama. You know, Denzel Duvall has been a solid player, but has not flashed off the edge like those two young guys. And then we've already talked about the two starters, and that's Xavier Dixon and Ryan Anderson. And I'm going to be honest, at this team, we've already talked about they're not as talented as previous Nick Saban groups. But these four guys, Kerry, if they continue to get better, as far as Xavier Dixon, you know, Ryan Anderson, Tim Williams, and then Rashawn Evans, Alabama can have as good a pass rush as Nick Saban has had in his time. And Nick Saban talked about it in the press conference today. He said, right now we've got some different type guys, you know, that we, we, we're getting a little bit better pass rush from our front four. And I think the Alabama's pass rush, pardon me, can be the best of the Saban era if they continue to improve from this point forward. And it will help a secondary that has got some holes that is not as talented as previous groups. No doubt about it. The best pass defense is a pass rush. We're going to go ahead and uh, bring on our weekly most loyal, most historic BAMS radio caller. Come on in to the Big Head Barbecue BAMS radio hotline. Marty from Gadsden. What's going on, my friend? Great to have hey you guys, back, Marty. Great show, man. i tell you what. I'm, I'm going to go off the last caller. I mean, y'all guys, I'm telling you, you don't, you don't really. I don't want to give you too big a head, but man, y'all are doing a great job. This this is a a quality show. I'm talking about just not just a regular internet radio show. It's a quality show. You know, if any Bama fan out there wants to know anything about Bama football or even Bama basketball, you know, this is the show they need to be listening to. You know, William hit it out of the park when he said what he did. I mean, great show. I just want I want to I want to give y'all some credit, man, because y'all need some credit for what y'all have done for this show. You know, it, it's super, and we as fans out here, we appreciate it. And I, I just want to you know thank you for that. Thank you. Appreciate it, Marty. And you know, a couple of things before we get into the participation chart. I know the reason I called in early tonight because. I don't know if you'll have enough time to name all the players that played in the participation chart, you know, this week. You know, it's it, unbelievable. I've never – I've been watching Alabama football for many, many, many moons, and I've never seen a domination probably as bad as that. I mean, close to it, the 49 to nothing butt-kicking of Auburn, you know, that was pretty dominant. I, I was at that game. That was boring to watch. Alabama could have put 60 or 70 on that team. You know, Nick Saban took the, you know, the pedal off the gas and and, and just kind of coasted through the and, and let that game run out. But you know, that was a domination. I'm so excited because, you know, one player that stood out to me. I mean, I, I heard everything that's been said tonight, and I do agree with all the other players. Reggie Ragland to me is the new alpha dog. This dude is going to be the, the man that we need to be. You know, as a linebacker, I mean, super game. He's matured so much. I think the secondary is just coming together. They're starting to gel. I mean, they're getting confidence, you know. This this team is getting scary. And I think the whole Southeastern Conference stood up, you know, Saturday and said, damn, good grief, I cannot believe they're back again. You know, it's just amazing. It's exciting, you know. I just can't wait to see, you know, what goes forward on this team. 
Well, Marty, I'll say this just to, to piggyback on something you said, and I'll, I'm going to go back to the offensive side of the ball. But because of the way, you know, because of the, the, the way the quarterback situation worked out, what you saw Saturday is what's got to happen. They've got to let Blake Sims run the zone read. They've got to let him run the option, and they've got to let him use his legs. And you saw what he did. He, you know, he didn't use his leg a lot, but he used them enough on the 43-yard touchdown and run, which was electric, and on two or three other occasions where it completely keeps the defense off balance. And then you, you go into account, you get the, the backs involved like Henry and Yeldon, and Yeldon was tremendous, just looked awesome. And then you get uh, the receivers involved, and I think it's big time. They've got to get DeAndre White, keep him healthy because he plays off Amari very well. The, the one last thing offensively they've got to get going is O.J. Howard. Couldn't quite get him on the deep ball, but they need to get him going because I think he's a he's the kind of guy that can be the third cog in the in the receiving train. But they need to find one more receiver. But I think they're very close. Uh, if Blake Sims continues to take, I want to go back to something A.J. McCarron said. He took a lot of heat for what he said, guys, but most of all, what he said was the truth. And what he also said, and he's told Blake Sims this, it's 100% accurate, take what the defense gives you. Don't force it. If he doesn't force it, Alabama's going to be very tough to stop offensively if the offensive line continues to get better like they did Saturday. Well, don't you think that uh, uh, TJ uh, is dangerous if Alabama spreads that defense out a little bit? You know, that was the, oh, the no big criticism. The biggest criticism I had against the Arkansas game, they played right into the Arkansas's you know, defense. They kept that offense right. bunched up the whole game. I was hollering at the I defense. agree. You know, if spread that defense agree, out, T.J. can cut. He loves to cut into angles and stuff. He's not a, just a straight-ahead runner. He likes to cut in the gaps. And if you spread that defense out, this guy can be a superstar. And I hope Saturday they realize that. Well, I think so, and I agree with that 100%. I think they need to run from spread formations because that is what Blake Sims is comfortable doing. He's comfortable creating. They have to let him ad-lib some with a passing game, get the ball out of his hands quickly. If the, uh, if the, if the first uh, two reads aren't open, let him take off and or, you know, let him create, let him get outside the pocket. But I just really like the energy of the team. And, I, and again, they need to, I agree with it, they need to spread it out. It helps the offensive line run the option. It helps the backs when they have to account for Blake Sims. And I think they also, what I love that they did, Marty, and I think you probably did too, I love the way they got the backs involved in the passing game. It really helps a lot. T.J. Yeldon and Derrick Henry were tremendous in that regard, and they're going to have to get those two involved with the absence of Kenyon Drake. Oh, T.J. Yeldon is a weapon if you throw it to him. I mean, the dude can catch the ball. I mean, I don't know why we've not been doing that more often. Agreed. Well, let me jump in on that, actually. And I wanted to I want to say, one, yes, use running backs more, but also the play, I believe, in the second quarter, maybe at the end of the first quarter, where T.J. Yeldon got that long check down pass. Right, I remember that, yes. Um, he... That is actually, you know, great route by TJ, you know, just keeping himself alive. But also, that shows some of Blake Sims' maturity as a quarterback. He, you could very obviously tell if you watch that play on replay that he wanted the deep ball. Like oh, yeah. He would have thrown into triple coverage. Mm-hmm. TJ Yeldon had 15 yards away from everybody, and then he turned it into a big play. So 
I completely agree with you, Marty, that it's good that they're starting to spread the ball to running backs out in the passing game. But also, that play to me just encapsulated how Blake Sims as an individual is continuing to mature in this offense. And it was pretty exciting from that point of view as well. Oh, I, I Thomas, that's a great, great point. And I turned to the young man on my, on my uh, left, the young student from WVUA who was sitting next to me tweeting for, the, for their radio station, and I said, take what the defense gives you when he, gave, when he went down to TJ. And then TJ made a guy miss and, you know, made something happen after the catch. It's what Coach Saban said. Blake does fine when he just takes what the defense gives him and doesn't try to force it. When he tries to force it, when we get in trouble. And he didn't really try to force it vertically. And when he did throw it vertically, it was big plays. And I think that the same thing could happen Saturday, though this Tennessee defense has improved. If Alabama continues to beat on them and take what the defense gives them, I expect Alabama to put this sucker away in the second half and for the, the you know for a lot of vintage orange to be gone by late in the third quarter. We still have Marty. Are you there, Marty? I am. I'm just. I'm just listening. You know. You know. Uh, I'm trying not to think about that old puke colored orange too much. I mean, it makes me <laughs> nauseous to think about it. I'm just. You know, trying to get it off my mind a little bit. You know. I. You know. I. Again. Uh, I, I do have a little bit of concern. I know Alabama should be the superior team going into this game, but as I've seen on the road in every right, game. It kind of gives me a little concern a little bit, you know, because this is the Tennessee Volunteers. And, you know, I really think that they – I hope the players go in there with the mindset, you know, that we need to earn this. We need to work hard and earn it because, you know, I don't want them to go in there and and get sick at looking at that old orange. Well, Marty, I don't think there's any doubt. I think the last step we said this, you probably were listening to the show at the beginning, but – the last step for those guys is going to be to to take it on the road, and I hope Coach Saban has you know learned the way this team is you know constructed that we need to let it rip, spread it out, and run the offense the same way because the game plans against Ole Miss and against Arkansas were not nearly as good. Uh, they were too conservative. He was depending too much on the defense, and with the talent we have at the skill positions at Alabama. You gotta let the QB go, let him rip, show confidence in him, and Blake should be, you know, getting comfortable as a starter. And I mean, he's earned this opportunity, and he's bounced back from two uh, road performances that weren't as good. Now he just needs to—that's the last thing he needs to prove. He needs to prove that he can do it on the road and step it up, and uh, and and then come through with a uh, spectacular performance. Because to be honest. Even despite the Ole Miss game, which was decent, and then the, the performance that was not very good against Arkansas, though he did make the plays to win it, he has been a revelation offensively and has done things that most never thought he could do. And uh, I just hope it continues for him. I'm happy for him because, you know, 50-year seniors that wait till their, till their last season to start hardly ever happen. And uh, I'd like to see him continue to, you know, play well and give Alabama a chance to, you know, play for a championship in November. Well, you know, one thing, oh, exactly. I, and, and I, I, I am admire A.J. McCarron, and I think he did a great job, represented the university great, but there's one thing to me that I like seeing from Blake Sims. I love to see him throw that ball up and let 
Amari Cooper go get it. That 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 is a a beauty to watch that. I mean, I don't know that anybody can protect on that. If we that's a that's a powerful weapon, you know, it it worked beautiful in that game against Texas A and M. As far as that gaudy shade of orange, I agree with Leanne Tui. Like she said in the blind side, it's not in my color wheel. <laughs> but what is in my color wheel, Marty, is giving you the participation charge as long as it is against Texas A&M. There were 80 people that were eligible to play. That's the most you can designate in the SEC home game is 80. And they were able to play 70 of them. And oh, of wow. the 10 that didn't play, the majority were people that were either wanting to red shirt or a couple of walk-ons that just couldn't get in on special teams late. But the starters on offense were uh, Robinson, Quanjo, Bozeman, Brown, and Shepard on the line. Vogler at tight end. Receivers were Christian Jones, uh, Cooper, and DeAndrew. You had Sims at quarterback. He held at the halfback. Defensively, the line was uh, Allen, Robinson, Reed. Jack was Dixon. Uh, the linebackers uh, were traded Priest and Reggie Ragland. Secondary, they started six. It was Derek Williams, Eddie Jackson, Cyrus Jones, Landon Collins, and Nick Perry. And that was a good choice to play down most of the game, obviously. They came off the bench, though, with another 48 people. And they were Chris Black, Alec Morris, Tyron Jones, Tony Brown, Bradley Silve, Cole Mazza, Josh Frazier, Hootie Jones, Cam Sims, Ryan Anderson, Robert Foster, Corin Curvin, Deshaun Hand, Adam Griffith, Ruben Foster, Sean Dion Hamilton, Ardaria Stewart, Jake Coker, J.K. Scott, Cooper Bateman, Maurice Smith, uh, Jabril Washington, Geno Smith, Dylan Lee, Derek Henry, Alti Tempenny, Rashawn Evans, Justin Fowler, Michael Nicewander, Alphonse Taylor, D. Liner, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, Josh Dickerson, Tim Williams, D.J. Petway, J.C. Hassenauer, Grant Hill, who played well, we'll talk about that later, Isaac Luatua, uh, Dominic Jackson, Raheem Falcons, Ty Fornoy Smith, Malcolm Fashon, Parker Barano, O.J. Howard, Brandon Green, Dakota Ball, Darren Lake, Brandon Ivory. Seventy people played in that game, and that does a lot for morale, Marty. Amen. I agree. Well, guys, great show. And get off here and let somebody else call in. You know, uh, love what y'all are doing, and uh, uh, we look forward to beating the crap out of Tennessee this week. Roll Tide. Thank you, Marty. Thank you, Marty. Roll Tide. Roll tide. Uh, before we hit the top of the hour, we're going to have a rare basketball segment here on Bams Radio. Drew and I got a chance both to watch Hoops on the Quad. We saw skills competitions involving men, women, and students. We saw a 12-minute scrimmage that didn't feature any kind of defense. And Drew and I both were a major part of an interview following Hoops on the Quad with Alabama head coach Anthony Grant. And uh, we have got that interview ready to go. And after this interview, Thomas, just go right into the break, and then we'll come on next hour with Jimmy Stein. Uh, but right now, we're going to listen to Alabama basketball coach Anthony Grant following hoops on the quad. His first question we asked him was, Coach, how did it go this first annual promotion hoops on the quad? Oh, it was great. You know, I know uh, our guys are really excited to have a chance to do this. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about, giving them an opportunity. All right, everybody, meet the players, meet the fans, coaches. we got to get excited we'll for the upcoming season. I thought it went really well. What have you noticed about your team so far in practice? Guys are working really well. We've had 10 practices so far. We've been able to get some things in. But I've been really pleased overall with our veterans, just in terms of the leadership they're trying to provide to the young guys. And the young guys have done a really good job of 
of listening, of being coachable, you know, from, our, from ourselves, from, our, from, the, uh, from the veteran players, from the coaches. So it's, it's, been, it's been good. I've been pleased. Safe to say that that scrimmage featured more uh, NBA All-Star Game defense than Anthony Grant defense? Well, you know, I think that's something that, uh, you know, you get out here you want to make sure that they're having fun, they're having a good time. And I think these guys will tell you, you know, from a defensive standpoint, that's probably not what guys want to see. They want to see the dunks and the threes and all that stuff. So I thought it was fun, and I thought they had a good time. And, Coach, what about the newcomers? It looked like they brought you some more skill and athleticism. How have they messed with your veterans? I think so. I think so. You know, obviously, uh, you know, it, it, we're still early in the year, but I think those guys have been with us, you know, since the summer. They, they put in a lot of work, and I think they've meshed well with the veterans. So I think just the combination overall, I think, uh, will be more All right, everybody, we do have the players being situated and ready now. pretty much full go after the offseason. He's not full go yet. You know, we actually got him back. Coming to players, get these posters, get these posters Maybe three or four practices ago. Where he could he could go on consecutive days, so it's still a work in progress. He's not in, in the type of shape that he'll, that he'll be in. You know, it's kind of, I think he had surgery late June, maybe early July. So it's still a process of getting him there. But as you can see, uh, he, he's not he's not far off. Now it's just a matter of conditioning and him getting used to the day the day to day stuff. Hopeful for the first game, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Unless we have a setback, I think so. And Shannon holding up pretty yeah. good. Shannon's doing well. Shannon, uh, you know, had surgery this summer. He uh, he had a, a broken bone in his foot. Uh, but it's had plenty of time to heal. Uh, he's been able to do everything that uh, that we've been doing since the summer. So uh, yeah, we feel good about uh, where where everybody is. We just gotta, you know, make sure as always. You know, this time of year, you want to make sure you keep your guys as healthy as possible. And obviously, Relford was a huge loss, great player for you. How's Ricky Terrence stepped up for you so far? You know, obviously, yeah, you you, you hit the nail on the head. Relford had an outstanding career here. You know, four years, All Conference player. Certainly did a lot. You can look at what he's done. Uh, his name is in the record book. So. Uh, those are some big shoes to fill, but I think Ricky, uh, Justin Coleman, several of our guys, I think the thing with this team is we have uh, a lot of versatile pieces, you know, so uh, I think that's something we'll try to take advantage of. Do a couple more questions, guys. Do you, you have anything to do with that choreography out there? I did not. I did not. You know, that's uh, that, that was all our guys. You know, I saw them practicing the dance, and I thought it would be comical. <laughs> I thought they actually did better than than, than I expected, so it was, it was good to see. And Jimmy Taylor, he looks like he's really added weight, looks stronger. How's he done so far? He's done he's done really well. You know, I think all our guys did a great job this summer of, of addressing some physical things that we had to address. And Jimmy, I think, is is, is one of those guys. You know, he's uh, Jimmy just turned 19. You know, right. So he's a young sophomore, and I think just with with every day that goes by, uh, he gets more uh, more confident. Uh, he's getting stronger. He's getting. Uh, his skills are increasing, so I think he's got a chance to, to really, uh, you know, you see a lot of guys between the freshman and sophomore years make a huge jump, and I think he's one of those guys that can make that jump for us. One more question, guys. Kessens, how, how's he looking? He's doing well. You know, Mike uh, Mike is another guy, uh, like you mentioned, with uh, with Retton and with Shannon Hale. Uh, we got to make sure from a health standpoint, he's had some, some nagging things, nothing serious that's kind of had him on and off, so he's doing really well. Another guy, I think, Mike is... Uh, from the day he stepped on campus, probably added a good 20 pounds of muscle, which is something that, that he's needed to do. So uh, we're looking forward to you know a, 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 a great season from him as well. And uh, you know, for a guy that uh, you know, hadn't played in a year, you know, like Ricky, you know, it'll be uh, it'll be fun to have him out there. All right, thank you, guys. Thanks, Thanks Coach. Thanks, Coach Curry's coming right now. Take Bama Sports Radio with you on the go and in your car with the free iPhone app. With cutting-edge features including live broadcast, on-demand radio, play-pause buttons, and text connect, allowing you to text into shows giving True Tide fans 
an interactive sports radio experience like never before. Go to BamaSportsRadio.com or search Bama Sports Radio in the iPhone App Store to get true 24-hour radio on Alabama sports anywhere in the world, only from Bama Sports Radio. Keep up with Bama Sports Radio off the air and on the move for the latest news and programming on all things Alabama. Follow us on Twitter at Bama Sports Radio and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bama Sports Radio. Bama Sports Radio, giving you all tide, all the time. Started. Here we go. <laughs> right, man, uh, just, uh, man, I hate Tennessee because first of all, it's Tennessee, and I I, I just hate them because they 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 low down, they dirty, they some snitches, and I hate Philadelphia. I hate their colors. I'm not a dog person. I I just hate Tennessee, man. Like, and I I hate Nayland Stadium. It looks like a garbage truck worker convention, and I hate all their quarterbacks. I just I hate Tennessee, man. Describe their describe what you feel about their colors too. It, it it reminds me, it, and it's not that orange that you can stand. See, I hate Tennessee more than I hate Auburn. I just dislike <laughs> Auburn. I hate Tennessee. See, Tennessee's colors is it's that it's that throw up orange. It's not that orange that you can sit with. It's that puke inside of a pumpkin orange. That I, and I don't like pumpkins. So I just I just I, I really don't like Tennessee, man. I I can't stress that enough, man. And they 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 losers, they sore losers because they they they're not Alabama, and I I hate Tennessee, man. That was beautiful, man. Probably the best interview I've done all year. Thank you, man. <laughs> man I, I can't stress that enough. I hate them. He hates them. Well, I used to feel that way, you know, when Fulmer was there and trying to put Alabama out of business, but. You know, now that we've we've beaten them seven years in a row, Drew. To me, it's gotten kind of like the Auburn Georgia. You know, one of those respectful, friendly rivalries. I guess. Well, I've always, you know, it, it's always a special game when you play Tennessee, Kerry. When you see the the orange and the and the red on the field at the same time, going against each other, knocking heads, and it's always been a big game for me. Uh, you always, I always remember the quote from Coach Brian. You don't really know how good you are until you play against Tennessee. 
And that always was the case up until, you know, Alabama had their issues after Coach Stallings left. But, uh, you know, and it was – I guess the reason I still enjoy destroying Tennessee and hope Alabama mud holes on Saturday is, you know, I will never forget what Phil Fulmer did, what he said. I got so sick and tired of watching him, you know, his wife and kids come down to the field and run across the field uh, in, a, in a mock show of, uh, you know, Kumbaya, which is a bunch of garbage. Uh, when uh, when they would beat us, and he'd have that smirk on his face because he knew that you know they had a, a distinct talent advantage over us, and he knew what he had done to us behind the scenes. But by, by I should say what he'd done to the University of Alabama, and, and one of my one of my favorite memories is uh, 2007, where Alabama has all those guys suspended for the textbook scandal uh, the night before, and then announced the morning of the Tennessee game in Knoxville. Tennessee is a, a, a prohibitive favorite coming into that game. But you knew after that game was over with that Phillip Fulmer was done. Because they Tennessee can talk all they want about Florida being their biggest rival. But the bottom line is they were saying that because at the time they had to go through Florida to win championships. But once Phillip Fulmer started losing to Alabama, that's when his fat ass was done. And that's all I'll leave it with that. And I will always enjoy beating the hell out of Tennessee from this point forward. If I read between the lines, are you saying that you don't think we should ever have Tom Culpepper as a guest on Bounds? <laughs> I'll just not comment on that. Fair enough. Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to bring on our next guest. He's joining us on the uh, Big Head Barbecue Bams Radio Hotline, and it is my friend and yours, Jimmy Stein, a.k.a. LJS Law, calling us from South Fallwood County. He's part of the Talking Tuscaloosa podcast, one of the more entertaining ones on the web. Jimmy, how's it going tonight, brother? Very, very good. Well, were you as surprised as we were uh, uh, of the woodshedding we all witnessed Saturday? <laughs> I certainly didn't. Uh, I certainly didn't predict, uh, you know, fifty-nine to nothing. Uh, I, I, I felt like Alabama would. We would see an Alabama that was a lot more similar to the Florida game. I think being back home. There's a comfort level that that the offense, in particular, has of you know better communication, uh, just 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 more relaxed offense. Uh, but I, I didn't expect to see Alabama play what what really was a, a perfect game on on both sides of the ball in special teams. Uh, di- didn't expect that. Well, Jimmy, I I just want to get your thoughts. I mean, we've talked about it already on the show. Uh, do you what do you, Obviously, Alabama matches up very well with Tennessee coming up Saturday. Yeah. But what do you think are, is going to be the the key for Alabama taking what they've done on at home and, and taking it on the road? They really need to cut it loose because I just think honestly, they, they, a conservative game plan is never going to be to their advantage, especially with a quarterback with the skill set of uh, Blake Sims. He's kind of an unorthodox guy from what Nick Saban's had in the past. But just kind of talk about what you think Alabama needs to do offensively to bottle what they've accomplished at home and take it on the road. Well, first of all, I think one thing that's a little different about this matchup than a couple of the other ones on the road is, is Tennessee is, is not good at all at the line of scrimmage. Alabama should have a right. significant Alabama should have a significant advantage, really on both sides of the ball, right at the line of scrimmage. But even offensively. Uh, you know, Tennessee is, is very, very young in the front seven. 
you know, they, they do have a great middle linebacker in A.J. Johnson, but, but other than that, they're just not particularly talented in the front seven compared to, to most of the other teams in the SEC. So I, I like the matchup for Alabama there. I think getting Ryan Kelly back is going to help substantially with the communication on the offensive line. I think that group is now really settled with uh, with Leon Brown. I, I think you'll see Leon, assuming good health, start every game the rest of the season at right guard. Uh, Ari Quandro is coming off his best game of the season. Uh, I think there's a little question about Austin Shepard's health at right tackle, but Austin practiced today and, and was fine. So I, I suspect that, that we'll see a, a much better Alabama up front, uh, and, and that's where it all starts. Also, you know, if Alabama can, can get into a rhythm early on, maybe we can take the, the crowd out of the game, and, and it might not be as loud uh, as, as it was at Arkansas. Uh, you know, the longer Arkansas stayed in the game, uh, the louder it was. So uh, I think it's a, it's a really good matchup for us X's and O's wise. And, uh, and obviously coming off of such a performance, you would think the offense would be playing with a lot of confidence. Jimmy, time was that you and I, back in the day, would have this conversation sitting around your pool smoking cigars, but we'll have it on the radio tonight. We're going to, what that means is we're going to turn to recruiting. And a couple of big five-star visitors were in Tuscaloosa this past weekend. One of them uh, may end up in Oxford by virtue of the tower man and his relationship to uh, his uh, distant uh, relative, Thomas Jefferson, But uh, that being CC, But the other one, uh, Byron Coward, a couple of people are, are starting to rumble that Alabama may have taken the lead for arguably the best player in America. Yeah, uh, he is a fantastic prospect. I mean, he, he's the, the, the quintessential five-star type. You know, this time of the year, Kerry, you know, the, there's so much excitement every stadium you go to. I, I think the question with Coward is, is his uh, – uh, is the Alabama thing just you know what you would call recency effect? Just because that was the trip that he just made, he uh, he hung out with CC quite a bit. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I think we'll know more about uh, Cowart in maybe two or three weeks after he's you know gone on some other trips. Uh, I, I'm, I, I share in the in the optimism. I just don't know if this is short term optimism or is this a kid that's actually going to sign with Alabama in February. Well, I'll. Piggyback on that with you two guys. The key is going to be is if he he talked about returning for Mississippi State and Auburn. If he does return for those two, considering he has a visit scheduled for both those weekends, but if he ends up in Tuscaloosa, then I'll be more apt to buy it. Right. But until then, right. I still think it's uh, kind of a little bit early to be saying that Alabama may have well, taken the lead for Byron Coward. Well, there's also this. I'd also throw in. You know, it's obvious there's going to be a coaching change at Florida. And oh, yes. when Florida brings in their new coach, whoever that is, he will he will get an opportunity to make his pitch to the C.C. Jeffersons and, and, and the Cowards. So until Florida has a new coach and he's had his, his time with them, again, I, I wouldn't get too fired up about either one of those guys, though it does appear that, you know, reading the tea leaves today – that uh, that C.C. Jefferson might be in Oxford and, and Alabama has a, a really good shot with uh, Byron Cowart. I wanted to uh, get your take also uh, because through the years since I've known you, which is I guess about 12 years now, you, you've been one of the guys to first identify uh, prospects that Alabama needs to get in on in the 251. And I've been reading your tweets and your posts recently 
about a prospect named Dave Kirksey, who I believe is a junior this year. Tell us a little bit about Dave, where he plays, what position he is, and where he stands recruiting-wise. Well, Dave, Dave's actually a senior at Fairhope this year. Uh, I, I have been uh, a fan of his for about three years. I, I've been always just kind of confused as to why he wasn't generating more attention. Now, now I, I don't. I've never felt that Kirksey was a guy that should be, you know, uh, national top 130 offers kind of guy. But but you hardly ever see his name on lists or hear his name out there. Meanwhile, he's he's really a. Uh, you know, a prototype size running back at six one two fifteen. He's been really productive at a big school, playing against a tough schedule. He's not a four four guy, but more more of a mid four six four seven guy. That frankly, I thought as a sophomore and a junior, he might better project at safety. Uh, but again, you just hardly ever ever heard his name come up. Well, now it's his senior year, and he's really blown up. Uh, two or three weeks ago, he had a game against Davidson, which, as you guys know, is a big 7A school full of great athletes. And Kirksey had, I think, 380 total yards and six touchdowns. Uh, wow. You know, so so he, he really has a lot of production to go along with that 6'1", 215 build. Uh, right now, you know, he reports offers from smaller Sunbelt schools. I think what's happening with him is we might see Kirksey in a JUCO and – Maybe he'll be placed there by someone. I think Alabama has some interest in him, or Alabama is certainly aware of him. Uh, we'll just have to see. He these, these days, as you guys know, uh, by the time you get to your senior year, kids are recruited so young these days that kind of the, the toothpaste is out of the tube at this point, and there's not too many seniors that blow up to all of a sudden get a bushel of SEC offers late, but We'll see how Kirksey does academically, but but he is a guy you might hear more of uh, down the stretch. So well, very, 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 very small bone to pick with you, Jimmy. Um, uh, and and you have, I have to tell you going into this question that, that Drew and I are both huge mm-hmm. Keith Nixon fans. Yeah, uh, and I know you watched him on Huddle. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I promise you, at Alabama's camp and at Mississippi State's camp, he broke four or five in the forty. Uh, so yeah. I think he's a little faster than you may, you may think. Well, that might be true. I, I do know at a Nike, I mean, at one of those Nike Spark camps, he ran I think four six seven, four six eight, somewhere around there. But you know, regardless, you know, the difference between a four six eight and a four four eight is you know the blink of an eye really uh, he he he's plenty fast enough i don't think speed and quickness is his issue at all uh you know he is five eight nick nick has not been very quick in the past to offer five foot eight receivers and certainly not five foot eight cornerbacks i don't think mixon is big enough to play running back in the sec i think he's a wide receiver slash kick returner but i've also said it's not really uh I'm not really disagreeing with you on Mixon. Uh, I, I've said this just a couple weeks ago, and I still uh, mean this. As, as far as I'm concerned, not trying to be too greedy, uh, if we hold on to every kid we've got and add uh, Darren Payne, Mixon, and uh, an offensive tackle, whether it's Isaiah Prince or the uh, the uh, kid from uh, from Africa that's in Atlanta, uh, if we add those three guys, I, I'm, I'm fine. To me, everything else is gravy after that. So I'm fine with taking Keith Mixon. I hope, I hope Alabama is seriously considering it. I love him as a return guy. I think as a return guy alone, he's he's worth scholarship myself. And I think he can be a, a Marquise Mays type guy in the slot, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And and I I, I agree. I, I would have no. I'd be excited about Alabama taking Keith Mixon. 
Also, I think they need to get either or, if not both, either Adonis Thomas or Flip Darrell Williams, which both are, seem to be right. heading in the right direction. Both, both yeah. seem to be not ready to flip, but wow, there's one. Alabama's definitely trending with uh, Adonis Thomas. Uh, but again, with him being so interested in Florida, Adonis Thomas could flip to, to Alabama in the next week or two, and then Florida hires their coach, and that guy's probably going to get his shot in the uh, Adonis Thomas living room too. Perhaps. Yeah, he gets a shot, absolutely. But the whole thing with Florida and Adonis, Jimmy, is Adonis's mom is a huge Will Muschamp fan. Yeah. Well, then hopefully uh, Will Muschamp will uh, get her a ticket on the long Greek <laughs> Greek island uh, cruise boat he's going to go on in December. If, I, if I'm Will, uh, right when he uh, – settles up the terms of his buyout, uh, him and him and the family ought to uh, go on a, a long cruise to the Greek Isles. Maybe maybe Adonis' mom can go with them. Not saying it's going to happen, Jimmy, but if, if, if Will does get the boot, which we all pretty think he will, and if at some point, whether next year or year after, at some point Kirby Smart takes a head coaching job somewhere else, is it not logical for the first call Saban makes would be Will Mustang? I think uh, the only thing that, that we wouldn't know, Kerry, is, I mean, what exactly is the status of their relationship? I think uh, that, that that's first and foremost. Secondly, we need to know what Will wants to do in the long term. One thing about Will Muschamp right now, uh, as opposed to when he was at a Texas, Will has made so much money in Gainesville. He, you know, I, I do think to some extent Will can kind of do what he wants as opposed to just desperately looking for a job. Uh, so I think those are factors. Uh, I also tend to think that if Kirby uh, ended up being a head coach somewhere after this season, uh, I think the first call would be Jeremy Pruitt myself, even ahead of Muschamp. That's just my could opinion. Be. Could be. But that's but that's my also opinion. an interesting question there regarding him and Nick's relationship. To my to my knowledge, and you know, no one no one really really knows, but to my knowledge, it's really good. So. Uh, uh, I, that, that's what I would expect, but Jeremy also might not want to be defensive coordinator at three different schools in three seasons. But regardless of any of all of, of any of that, I, I don't expect uh, Kirby to be anywhere but the defensive coordinator at Alabama next season. That's, that's what I think is going to happen. Before I, before I let Drew finally ask another question, uh, there, Jimmy, the, the, the facts speak for themselves, and we talked about Donald Thomas, but there could be room for another linebacker once some other flips happen. Uh, yeah. Darrell Williams has spent mm-hmm. more time in Tuscaloosa this fall than he has Auburn. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I, you know, my opinion, if Alabama did really push for Darrell Williams, I, I do think Darrell Williams would flip from Auburn to Alabama. I just think at some point Alabama just has numbers issues in terms of how many total kids they could take. We're at 21 right now uh, with, with without the Darren Paynes and the Keith Mixons and the the Adonis Thomases, and, and, and you know they want to you know, sign another tackle. That I think they think they have a good shot at Terry Godwin, the wide receiver from Georgia. So you just wonder if, if there will be room for Darrell Williams. But uh, he's certainly a good solid, a good solid prospect. Uh, myself, uh, I, I like all the Hoover linebackers. I, I don't really differentiate much between Christian Bell and Darrell Williams. I just think they're both very, very similar prospects. And, Jimmy, I wanted to ask you, because I, I think it's painfully obvious that Alabama does need to upgrade the talent in the in the secondary, and I wanted to know what your take is on Kendall Sheffield. I'm hearing Alabama's in very good shape for him. 
especially considering they're going to get the last visit in, uh, on December the 12th. But what is your take on Kendall Sheffield as a prospect? Uh, he, he's fantastic. He, he's just what I'll, I'll refer to as just uh, he's nationally elite, meaning that he's he's in the top tier. I don't know if you want to say he's the best corner in the country. I would just consider him in the top group, certainly. You know, this is a good year, I think, to go to, to, to Texas to get a cornerback in the sense that not just what happened this past weekend with Texas A&M, but you know, I, I don't know that a lot of elite defenders want to, to jump into A&M unless they're, it's a legacy situation or a close friend. Texas's recruiting is changing a lot from the past regime to what Charlie Strong is doing now. I think if we're, if we're going to go into Texas and pluck a five-star cornerback out of there, this is probably the, the, the right year to do it. Sheffield likes us a lot. We already have a corner on the team from uh, – two corners already on the team – from Texas and Maurice Smith and Tony Brown. So Kendall Sheffield wouldn't exactly be blazing a new trail. He's He's got, you know, uh, Mo Smith and Tony Brown there ahead of him. And, and Mo and Tony are doing really well and enjoying their time in Tuscaloosa. So I think we have an excellent shot at Kendall Sheffield. Again, I point to the numbers. There's no way you tell a Sheffield, hey, we don't have the room for you because he's so good. But, you know, we talked about this last time I was on the show, guys. Uh, under Nick, every year there's been kind of a, a what I call the December reshuffling of the deck, and where there's some kids that are committed that drop off and some brand new names hop on. And I, I don't think we'll really know about the number situation until the inevitable December reshuffle happens. But uh, we, we are in outstanding shape with Kendall Sheffield, no, no doubt. Jimmy, a couple months ago, if I had made the statement to you. Jimmy, uh, Marlon Humphrey's probably going to redshirt. Would you have told me to bite my tongue out and spit out the 50-yard line for Hoover Met? I never would have. I never would have believed it in the preseason based on our need at corner and based on the projection of of how good I felt Marlon was. I, and, and I still believe Marlon is going to be a great player. I think the curveball here that, that none of us really expected was how good Cyrus Jones is. I think – I think that is a little bit of surprise. I'm not surprised at all Cyrus is better than what he was a year ago, but I'm really surprised. Cyrus is really playing at an all-SEC level this season, so I don't think we saw that coming. And secondly, Eddie Jackson's health at the other corner I think was a question mark kind of going into this year, and Eddie has proven far more healthy. So if you'd have told me all summer that Cyrus was going to be an all-SEC corner and that Eddie Jackson would be healthy – I wouldn't have told you that Marlon would redshirt, but I would have said that it would be difficult for Marlon to find snaps. And uh, well, I think in the long run, Marlon redshirting is is really going to help his career. Well, i got to say this, Jimmy, and I'm glad you said this. And I, I wish my friends were listening, but I doubt they are. Uh, they've all been – they've all ripped, as they like to call him, five from the first snap of the season. I felt like he has played well after the – I thought he got off to a poor start against West Virginia, but pretty much settled in. I felt like he's been solid all year. Uh, they've basically been – he's been the whipping boy along with Nick Perry. But I, I think, you know, I agree with you. I think Cyrus has played at a nice level. I think he's turned into a good college corner. Um, I, I wish Eddie Jackson would make some more progress, but to be honest, his recovery was nothing short of miraculous as far as the time frame. And I think Tony Brown has shown flashes – but I think, you know, that's why this defense, you know, being, but I think the, the thing that's helping this defense 
and I wanted to have your take on it. I don't know if you heard what we talked about in the first hour, but despite the fact this defense is not as talented as the groups, you know, I think in the previous from 2008 to 2013, with the way this defense has evolved, I still think with the Xavier Dixon, Ryan Anderson, Tim Williams, Rashawn Evans, you know, foursome, that it could have as good an outside pass rush as any of Nick Saban's defenses have ever had from this point forward. I think it's what's made the biggest difference to me, guys, is in terms of, of, of how did Alabama get this good defensively over the course of the season, I think it's the pressure from a four-man rush, and I principally uh, credit the outside linebacker group that you just went over there, Drew. Uh, they, they've been very good at, 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 at pressuring the passer, so we haven't had to blitz to get some pressure, and I think that's really protected the secondary because if we have – a talent deficiency on defense, you know, it really isn't a secondary. I think the front seven guys are pretty good. So, uh, yeah, that outside linebacker group, particularly in the past three or four games, has been really good, uh, spearheaded by Dixon and, and Ryan Anderson. But Tim Williams has been playing more and more. We all know Rashawn Evans is going to be a beast by the time his career is coming gone. So I think – that pass rush has kind of masked some of the issues maybe that we might would otherwise have in the secondary. Jimmy, I wanted to ask your opinion on uh, not necessarily the kick returner, but what has become this year of the receiver we used to know as Christian Jones? (laughs) That is a good question. I was just talking about uh, Christian just 10 minutes ago before, before, uh, before uh, I got on with you guys. Uh, You know, Christian has had a remarkable career, and what, what I was just saying a while ago uh, about Christian that blows me away was, as we all remember, you know, Marquise Mays in 2011, uh, you know, pulls a hamstring in the first quarter against LSU in the national championship game, and we freak out because we have to put in a freshman punt returner who has hardly played uh, as, as a return guy, and we're all scared to death. LSU had that awesome punter, Brad Wing, who, who now, you know, punts in the NFL for the Steelers. Uh, Brad Wing's punting. It's inside in the Superdome. It's the national championship game. Christian Jones comes out there and is smooth and catches those punts effortlessly. Uh, and really, I think, uh, a lot of credit for how well the 2011 national championship game went belongs to Christian for – that could have been a real problem for us, and he was great. And then you fast-forward four years, and, and, and now he's undependable in the return game, and it's it's so surprising. Uh, I don't know. I, I think, you know, he might have off-the-field distractions, but that's not really, you know, an excuse. Uh, I, I'm just really stunned, and I'll tell you what, not just in the return game, guys, but, you know, I, I was saying going into the year that Christian Jones might be as good of a third receiver as there was in the entire league, and, and even as a receiver in the offense, he is he has just disappeared. He is not, he's not a help at all, uh, you know, on on offense to to Blake or supplementing, you know, uh, Amari. So I'm I'm stunned. I definitely put Christian in the in the question mark category of you know where he's been so far this year. But you know he was better last weekend and. We still have a lot of football left, so hopefully Christian Jones can uh, can do something really memorable in his senior year because he, he's had a, a good career at Alabama. Well, and I was asking you more about it on offense, and you kind of touched on that at the end of the response. He did bounce back well in the return game, but he's become completely invisible in the offense. 
to the point that, quite frankly, Jimmy, I'm ready to see some, some more Chris Black. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Cam Sims is another young receiver that's playing more and more and earlier and earlier, and Cam caught some balls with the first team this past weekend. Uh, it's a real, you know, some of, some of it is just we have so many good skill players and only one football. You know, uh, if you do some some math and assume assume that you're going to get 70 plays on offense every Saturday, Alabama traditionally, you know, we're going to throw it maybe 28 to 30 of those times and run it the other 40 times. So if we're going to throw it 28 to 30 times, who gets those balls? Well, you know Amari is going to get maybe as many as half of them. Uh, we throw it to Amari a bunch. You know, Amari is probably, you know, third or fourth in the nation in receptions right now. And when we're not throwing it to Amari, we have another NFL prospect in DeAndre White. We have a good tight end and O.J. Howard who we want to get the ball to on occasion. And, of course, we throw it to the backs. To some extent, I wonder if Christian might be, be a little just squeezed out uh, because, you know, we just don't have – we just don't have the, the pass attempts to go around. But it, it, is, it is a real mystery. I, I would have guessed Christian Jones would have his best season at Alabama, and, and thus far it just, just hasn't been the case. Yeah, Jimmy, I, yeah game, the name that keeps coming to my mind, I guess, is, is DJ Shockley. But could you have anticipated in your wildest dreams that Blake Sims would have the year he's having, Jimmy? No, not at all. And I, I like that DJ Shockley comparison. Uh, no, uh, really. And – you know, I've seen Blake quite a bit, I mean, over the past two years. Uh, you know, it, it, not just this spring uh, and not just this fall camp, but even last year, so I'm in, in practice quite a bit. I, I, I never, ever, ever would have even begun to imagine Blake playing as well as he has. I credit Blake, first and foremost, for working his butt off to, to improve. Uh, we got to remember, this is a guy who is a high-profile recruit that everyone in the South knew about, and no one recruited as a quarterback at a high school. And, and here he is, fourth in the nation in passing efficiency, uh, averaging 9.9 yards per attempt, which is a, an outstanding number. Uh, I, I, I can't believe it. I, I'm the first to admit, I wave my hand, I, I thought Jacob Coker would uh, get to Alabama, win the job easily, by maybe even by the end of the first fall scrimmage. Uh, because I had a lot of confidence in Coker's talent, uh, and, and really didn't think Blake could uh, compete with it with a talent like Jake. You know, well, not only could Blake compete with a talent like Jake, Blake clearly beat him out. And then, if you think about it, guys, Blake not only beats out Jake and Cooper Bateman and Alec Morris and David Cornwell, Blake's beaten out the kids at LSU. He's beaten out Justin Worley at Tennessee. He's beaten out Dylan Thompson at South Carolina. The the, the towels kid at Kentucky. Driscoll at Florida. Blake's better than all those guys, and that, that's, you know, all the credit to Blake and Lane Kiffin and uh, Blake's uh, private quarterback coach this summer, Ken Mastroli. Uh, Mastroli and Lane Kiffin have done an unbelievable job of Blake, and uh, I couldn't be happier for him. Blake Blake's a super person and a, and a great kid and a great representative for the university. Yeah, I agree 100%, Jimmy. I, it's been shocking to me how well he's played, especially with the way he ended spring practice. Nobody really saw this coming, I don't think, is how well he's played. But on the other side of the coin, have you been surprised at how much O.J. Howard has struggled? Uh, you know, I've just he struggled at the point of attack block, and he hasn't become the factor everyone thought he would this year as a receiver. And what do you see as his role going forward? Well, one thing I noticed uh, this past weekend, one thing that stood out to me is when the, when we still had the first-team guys in, 
OJ's role in the blocking game was significantly reduced this past week. When we went to two tight ends uh, on anything less than, than, a, than a second or third and long, OJ was out, replaced by either a wide receiver uh, lined up outside, <clears throat> or, excuse me, guys, or a Dakota Ball. So OJ's right. role as a blocker has been reduced. I think we'll continue to see that, and we'll just have to see how much uh, how much he plays um, going forward. I think I think with OJ I think with OJ's reduced role as a blocker, I worry that he's going to have reduced snaps. Period. But we'll see. He's a he's a talented kid. He's got great hands. Jimmy, I wanted to give you a chance to uh, push your podcast, particularly the new edition, and which features yourself and Luke Robinson, and also a, a young man that. Some Alabama fans may not know about, but he you've been yep. friends with him now for a couple of years, worked himself up from, from being a recruiting assistant at the university to a scout for the 49ers. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Kyle O'Dell? Sure. Uh, yeah, I've known Kyle for a couple of years. Uh, Kyle worked in the recruiting office at Alabama when he was a student. Uh, Kyle wanted a, uh, a career in, uh, in scouting and, and front office NFL work and through the uh, – Staff's connections to all over the NFL. Kyle was able to land a, a, his first job out of Alabama with the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, last year he was just basically what you'd call an entry-level scout, but uh, he did really well in his first year, so he's been promoted to to a, reg, a regional scout, uh, and the 49ers moved him to Indianapolis. So he, so he doesn't have as far of a drive to all the schools he scouts, but Kyle basically scouts the Big Ten and the MAC uh, programs. Uh, all over the Midwest uh, for the 49ers, so he spends a lot of time on the road. But as much time as he spends scouting and doing his job, he also is able to tune in and watch Alabama. Kyle's an exceptionally smart football mind. He's able to communicate that, I think, with everyday fans really well. And, uh, <laughs> frankly, uh, Kyle's been very good on our podcast. I think if he chooses to have a uh, future in the media – uh, just as you know, like like uh, the guys on the NFL Network, there's several former scouts uh, that work for the NFL Network on air. Uh, Kyle can have that sort of future too. But I think he wants to stay in scouting and eventually move into a front office job. And uh, I don't, I, I wouldn't sell Kyle short. He's a a very capable, smart, hardworking dude, and uh, we're, we're fortunate to have him on the podcast every now and then. He's got a pretty sharp girlfriend too, who you're quite familiar with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Kyle, Kyle's uh, longtime girlfriend is Devin Grissom, a reality TV star, and Devin has moved to Nashville uh, recently. And uh, heck, maybe uh, maybe we'll have her on the podcast at some point. Devin's a pretty sharp football mind herself. Yeah, she was on the uh, Sweet Home Alabama uh, show as well as a spinoff that they filmed down in Savannah. Uh, so uh, got a chance to meet Kyle and Devin both, thanks to Jimmy, uh, a couple of years ago down at Orange Beach. And I-, I can remember sitting around, you know, chatting football even at that time with Kyle, and we were trying to figure out, you know, who we wanted to commit next, and we both agreed, Robert Foster. And anyway, yeah, he is he is a great football mind and a sharp kid. But for, for our listeners' benefit, tell them how they can listen to uh, the podcast that you and Luke do, Talking Tuscaloosa. Sure, the easiest thing to do to find us is just just simply hit your Google button and just Google talk talk in Tuscaloosa with Jimmy and Luke. We uh, we tape usually every Monday or or Tuesday, uh, and it's out uh, by Tuesday Wednesday. We go unlike some other podcasts. We go all year long. 
I think we taped uh, just this week was like our 45th episode. So even after football season's over, we do podcasts centered around recruiting, basketball, spring football, and uh, somehow Luke and I found enough to talk about to go through the entire summer. So uh, we certainly enjoy doing it, and it, it, it's it's not a problem at all. Like uh, Luke and I, Luke and I talk so much about Alabama football. All we all we simply decided to do was record our conversations for other people to listen to. That's kind of what we do here. Uh, Drew, have you got anything else for Jimmy? No, not exactly. I just, I, I guess the last thing I would ask Jimmy is, if you see the the arc that this team is improving on and the, the direction they they seem to be going, I I think the defensive line is finally starting to play up to you know the preseason expectations. How do you see this team matching up with Mississippi State and Auburn in the future? Uh. I think very well, uh, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, maybe it's a little controversial to have this opinion, but I, I think last weekend proved that this defense belongs alongside every other Nick Saban defense at Alabama. Maybe the 2011 defense will always remain the gold standard, but I think this defense right. is as good as all the other Saban defenses, particularly because of how good the defensive line and the linebackers are. I think – Defensively, Alabama will continue to be an elite program for the rest of the season. Uh, I think the only questions really are on offense. And can we uh, can Blake improve, not as a physical performer, but a guy that sees the field a little better? He has been fortunate that the other teams dropped a couple, a couple of picks. I think Blake has to improve in terms of what he sees from the pocket. Uh, and I think as Blake plays more, gets more experience, uh, and, and the offense improves, we stand as good a chance as anybody down the stretch. Uh, frankly, as good as Mississippi State and Auburn are, until we solve our road problems, I'm just worried about the game in Baton Rouge myself, uh, not because of the right. matchup, but like I said, just because of our – we just haven't played well away from Bryant-Denny yet. And until we do play well away from Bryant-Denny, I'll, I'll worry about that a little bit. But in terms of where Alabama stands nationally, uh, I know this. I, I'm not. I'm not trading our our 22 for someone else's 22. Well, that's well said. And I got to ask one more question about those 22 because I know you've seen Alabama football for you know a very long time, and you've seen a lot of great players. And I know it's unusual to talk about someone in this position, especially for the position that he plays. But just talk about how big a weapon you think J.K. Scott already is. And the scary part, how good he could be in another two years. Well, did we lose Jimmy? I think we just lost him. I still have him live, but I don't. I think he cut out. Okay. Yeah, we did just lose him. Um, well, shit. we can wrap it there. We can wrap it there. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, that was Jimmy Stein. Uh, Known on the internet as LJS Law, a successful attorney down in the Mobile Baldwin area, and also a podcaster, as he told you, talking Tuscaloosa with his friend and mine, Luke Robinson. Uh, Jimmy is a, one of the great minds uh, out there when it comes to talking Alabama football and Alabama recruiting. And uh, Drew, I'm really glad we've been able to get him to be a regular on this show, and he's already told me he wants to keep doing it. Well, that's great to hear. We want to add him to the rotation. Uh, Jimmy's very, very knowledgeable. He's one of the first posters that I ever started really paying attention to on Tider Insider and others of that ilk years ago when I became, you know, internet savvy, I guess is the best way to put it. 
But Jimmy, is, uh, he's been a member of a lot of Alabama websites. He's always been a passionate guy. What I like about Jimmy is he doesn't take himself too seriously. He's very, very knowledgeable, but he's not arrogant in any way, shape, or form, and he likes to share his opinions. And, uh, he's, and again, he, he has a keen eye for recruiting, especially in the Mobile area uh, from where he's lived for so long. And, again, and he, I thought his observations on O.J. Howard were spot on. And uh, just, as usual, some excellent uh, crimson knowledge. And to give you a little history on Jimmy, he was the first person ever to say that Alabama should take Wallace Gilberry. Yes, he uh, was. Alabama finally got the clue and took Wallace Gilberry, and Wallace Gilberry starts for the Cincinnati Bengals now. Uh, before we move on to the next segment, I want to give a big shout-out to uh, our barbecue sponsor. Uh, that's Chuck Peak, owner of Big Heads Barbecue. He is the sponsor of this hotline that we have callers call in on, the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline, which you still have time to call, 714-510-3707. That's 714-510-3707. You can look at him on the web. Uh, he's got a, a menu at bigheadsbbq.net. Uh, his motto is go big or go home. He caters. He does private parties, church events, sporting uh, clubs, booster clubs, that kind of thing. Uh, you can email him, bigheadchuck at gmail.com. You can call him at 251-379-0094. You can follow him on Facebook, and you can also follow him on Twitter, at Big Heads Barbecue. Uh, he's a big battle fan. He's a great barbecue chef. Uh, his triple threat, which is a, a piece of pork with a tiny piece of sausage in the middle, wrapped in bacon and drizzled in his homemade sauce, the triple threat is one of the best barbecue dishes I've ever had in my life, and I'm a barbecue connoisseur. From, so for me to say that... Uh, is that serious? Uh, so that's Big Heads Barbecue. Check him out again on the, on the uh, internet at bigheadsbbq.net, and call us on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline seven one four five one zero three seven zero seven. There, toward the end of last hour, we heard the uh, the remarks of, of Anthony Grant, the basketball coach, and uh, Drew and I both had a chance to see a defenseless scrimmage, but a <laughs> scrimmage Drew that that showed us. Uh, that some of the recruits in the new class are a little more athletic than we thought. Uh, no doubt about that. Very impressed with the newcomers, probably the most by Jeff Garrett. Uh, he did a great job. The kid via Gadsden City that was at Osmar Christian in Florida uh, for a year to get his academics together. Uh, he definitely looks like a more athletic and skilled Chris Hines, a guy that's going to be above the rim, someone that's going to finish around the rim, and who runs the floor very, very hard. In that scrimmage, I felt like he played harder than just about anybody else, showed great energy. Uh, you know, you worry about his outside shot a little bit, but I didn't think it looked horrible. I think it's something that can be developed uh, more so even than Chris had. And, again, but I think he's got even more athletic ability than Chris and hopefully will follow with the physicality. And uh, he just, I think he has a lot of potential. Very impressed with Devin Mitchell's athletic ability, Kerry, uh, and his finishing in the open floor. Uh, we already know the speed and athleticism that Justin Coleman will bring at point guard. Uh, very impressive. Uh, well, Riley Norris, I think he's still more athletic than people think. I think he'll bring shooting and intelligence and basketball IQ to the table. And then Kessins, you can tell he's a little bit limited, but he's tall, long. Looks like he has some athletic ability. And uh, and, I, and then, obviously, uh, you know, uh, Ricky Tarrant. I thought Ricky Tarrant shot the ball very well and was very impressive overall as a newcomer. And I just think the class as a whole 
It, was, it looks very good, Kerry, and I think it's the best of the Grant era. And the media today uh, got to interview Coach Grant, Retina Vossahai, and Levi Randolph, and the media put out their uh, preseason picks. They picked Kentucky to win the league and Alabama to finish 10th. CBS right. Sports uh, put their picks out yesterday. They picked Alabama to finish 6th. Uh, wow. I, pers- I personally would take sixth right now in the league. But uh, get- getting back to what went on today in Charlotte, uh, they put out the 10-man All-SEC men's team as picked by the media, and I'm going to go ahead and go on record and say they missed the boat by not naming Levi Randolph. Well, hopefully so. I mean, Levi, has he needs to step up this year as a senior. He needs to consistently be a guy that averages in the 13- and 14-point range. You know, he's never averaged double figures in a season. Uh, he needs to take that next step. I thought his shot looked better as well, Kerry. I thought he shot the ball with more confidence. Uh, I thought he looked like a more confident player. And he needs to be one of the bell cows this year, no doubt, uh, for this Alabama team because the bottom line is is that they, they need the production. Uh, they need guys to step forward and produce. And I think they have the uh, the ability to do so. If they can get some, you know, if Jeff Garrett can, you know, can give them a little bit more post presence, and then Shannon Hale, who I thought shot the ball pretty well himself, is back from the foot injury. He and Kevin's can kind of be interchangeable parts. And I know you were, you and I were both impressed with the development of Jimmy Taylor. Oh, 240 pounds now at six foot ten, and there's no fat on that 240. And uh, Jimmy's offensive game seems to have improved a little bit. Uh, he doesn't have to be a dominant post scorer for Alabama to to have a great season, but I think he needs to be able to give them, you know, between eight and ten a game offensively, and about seven or eight rebounds and one or two blocks a game. I think stay out of foul trouble. Stay out of foul trouble. And uh, Shannon Hale obviously is going to have to play a lot of four along with Michael Kessens, and there's not really a true backup center. I'm afraid that might be Michael Kessens. Uh, they did hold another scrimmage last night. I was not able to attend, but I spoke uh-huh. to two okay. people that did. Uh, right. uh, I have two friends that attended the scrimmage last night. Now, last night's scrimmage was a full 20 minutes, and it did feature SEC defense. Okay. That's the good news. Uh, it right. was a scrimmage that was held for the Tustin's Tip-Off Club and the Tide Pride Basketball Season ticket holders at Colton Coliseum before Grant spoke to them at a dinner. Now, the good news from the scrimmage is several people displayed consistent three-point shooting that being uh, Levi Randolph and, and, and Justin Coleman and, and Shannon Hale. Bad news, uh, for precautionary reasons, and because we're nowhere near the regular season, neither Ricky Tarrant nor Michael Kesson stressed out for last night's scrimmage. So what that meant was that uh, Dakota Slaughter and walk-on uh, John Gibson from Atlanta both had to play the whole time with the, with the second team. Uh, the starting unit uh, was the unit we saw as starters this past Saturday. And this may be the starting unit, although I'm not counting Kessens out long-term. But right now the starting unit, uh, well, they, they could not start uh, Ricky Tarrant last night at guard. So they they kind of let uh, Levi run run the point just because they wanted Derek uh, – I'm sorry, they wanted Justin to run point for the twos. So last night uh, Ritten actually ran point, excuse me. Last oh, night. Lord. So, Rettens, and that, he, he ran the point for the Crimson's, which did win again. They won Saturday and they won last night. But the Crimson team last night was Retton at point, Levi at two, Rodney at three, Shannon at four, Jimmy at five. And that team very much handled the white squad, but the white squad had to start John Gibson, who is a walk-on, and Dakota Slaughter, who used to be a walk-on. So, um, you know, Riley and, uh, and Justin and Derek, with every three, I mean, Devin, 
with other three guys on the white team last night. And the, the Crimson won actually more comfortably than they did. Uh, but defense was played for that 20 minutes and uh, much much good. They said that, you know, you, you're probably going to call me crazy, but the, the, the two or three people I talked to that were there said that there was a lot more crispness about the way the offense was run. Uh, they actually looked like they were running plays. Uh, I don't want to get everybody's hopes up, but there's more talent one through ten, one through eleven, on this roster this year than there's been in several years, Drew. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I I made the comment when we watched them work out that the freshman class is definitely more talented. That's why I asked Coach Grant that. You know, they look like they're more athletic and skilled. I didn't, you know, they didn't shoot the ball too well on Saturday, but the wind was blowing. It was outdoors. You're not gonna. I'm not gonna get too concerned about that because and that court we saw saturday i'm I'm no mathematician but i promise you that wasn't a whole 94 feet court yeah I mean, it might have been 80 i just you know i didn't take too much into that i've seen justin coleman play he can shoot the basketball no doubt. i've seen riley norris he can shoot the basketball i've seen Dunk it too yeah and devin mitchell i've seen him on film his release is not as smooth as i thought but he he can shoot the basketball so i'm not really concerned about that i think Jeff Garrett even kind of surprised me. I think as far as I think he can shoot a little bit better than I thought. But the thing that really I, I pleased me was Devin Mitchell had told us on this show that Jeff Garrett was a junkyard dog and was very athletic, and he was right. Uh, we saw that Saturday. We saw that Devin, as I just said, is more athletic. And I know Coleman is undersized, but he is a great athlete as well. And that uh, Riley Norris can play. I just think. One through ten, Kerry, what you're excited should be excited about here now about a basketball fan is that there is not the only one that's offensively challenged in the group is Jimmy Taylor, but he brings a needed skill set to the table. And and I think you would agree he improved a lot over the last half of the season last year. And if he can keep can keep improving and have a couple of moves, uh, then I think he'll be uh, that Alabama will be in real good shape. Yeah, Jimmy's a guy that's going to get better every year he's there. Uh, something also interesting happened to Drew and I after the scrimmage, about an hour or two afterwards, we were walking back from the tailgate and uh, walking up University Boulevard, and we ran into Riley Norris. We got to meet Riley. Uh, Drew had seen him play before. I had not. But uh, he, he was very respectful. We told him we were the guys that interviewed him for BAMs. He thought that was pretty cool. And what I got out of our face-to-face meeting with Riley, Drew, was uh, he's a legit 7. He's a legit 6'7". Uh, you know, he, he can, he's multi-skilled, is a good passer, ball handler, shooter. Uh, you know, he had to play with his back to the basket quite a bit at Albertville as a senior because he was the tallest kid they had. Did not play on the perimeter as much. But he's a, just a basketball. He, he's a son of a coach, Kerry, and he has a lot of savvy to him. Even if he's the 10th guy, he will help Alabama win games. He will make plays. And uh, I'm excited about him. I thought, you know, from the first time I saw him play, and then I saw him play two to three more times, that if you surround him with really good players, he can be a quality SEC player. Kevin Stallings and Billy Donovan agreed. Both of them recruited him. Notre Dame recruited him. But he was just somebody that wanted to come to Alabama, and you enjoy that. So did Justin Coleman. You want to see these guys from in-state try to resuscitate this program. And I think with the squad they've got, the backbone of it is from the state of Alabama. I think they can rebuild the squad. And I think, you know, they can – I'm going to be disappointed if they're not an NCAA tournament team this year, Gary, if they can have some injury luck. They obviously need to get Kessins and Tarrant healthy, no doubt about that. But uh, I think 
this team has a lot of potential. I want to see what Kessens can do because when he's healthy, because we didn't really get a chance to see that and see his skill set. But uh, I think he's going to be one of these guys that can hopefully play off Jimmy and can be a someone that can score from and play 15 feet from the basket. But I'm going to be interested to see again how he plays and how they play as a squad. And maybe if Grant's finally got some talent, one through ten, the talent, a more talented squad, we will see a, a more fluid offense because it's definitely something that I think the fans want to see uh, from, from his program. Right. And before we switch gears back to football, which we're going to do in about 15 seconds, I want to give a shout-out to Coach Ed Allen and the Alabama women's volleyball team who were actually televised tonight and went down to Auburn and swept the Tigers three to nothing. Uh, never even had to go to any kind of deciding game. So another good win for UA volleyball. Always good to beat Auburn, beat them at their place. Uh, and beat them in anything. Yeah, well, that's right. But it's it's, it's good that, that he went down there and beat them three to zip, embarrassed them on television. Good job, Coach Allen. Good job, Alabama volleyball. Uh, good job. Now let's turn back to football and and. Uh, wind the clock back to Saturday because, Drew, uh, I want you to share with our listeners the experience you had as a first-time journalist covering Alabama football. Just just kind of go over the whole day and what that meant to you and what it was like to do it for the first time. Well, you know, it was honestly a dream for me. Uh, it's something that I've always wanted to do. First of all, I want to give a, a shout-out and credit to 97.7 The Zone here in my hometown of Huntsville, Alabama, Steve Moulton, West Neighbors, and all those guys for entrusting me and the Reynolds brothers who own the station for allowing me to represent them in the press box against uh, for the Texas A&M-Alabama matchup. Got a chance to be up in the press box. Great viewpoint from the 50-yard line and to experience a game, you know, from that vantage point was tremendous. Uh, you know, got a chance to see a performance that, you know, will live on and will be talked about for years. And that was, a, that was just something else. Well, I thought it would be a good football game, a game that Alabama would win, that I never in my wildest dreams would have saw what, you know, come and what happened. And it was just tremendous to be able to meet some of the other people in my business. Uh, Gary Harris, who does such a great job with WVUA, got to, you know, uh, again, uh, talk with Rodney Orr, who's a guest on this show and is such a class act. Uh, you know, got a chance to, of course, uh, you know, uh, the governor of the state of Alabama was in the press box, so that was a neat thing. Or uh, you and I interviewed Anthony Grant with Cecil Hurd alongside us, who is such an icon in uh, sports writing in the state of Alabama. So it was just a neat experience for me. Kerry got the chance to meet Ryan Fowler face to face, who has uh, has done some nice things for Alabama Intel and uh, given us some nice publicity. And as a class act himself, has a great show, The Game, in Tuscaloosa locally. And uh, just it was a great experience in order to just to see what it's like to cover Alabama on a game day, get a chance to go on the field for 10 minutes of the fourth quarter, which was tremendous, uh, learn from the master, get photobombed on my first opportunity uh, after the game, standing behind Nick Saban and the CBS people, and then to go into the interview room and be able to sit through Coach Saban's press conference and then to interview the players, guys like Landon Collins, uh, you know, those in and, uh, and Ari Kwanjo, uh, Blake Sims, and just to have that experience was just uh, more than I could imagine, and it's something that I just hope I get a chance to do a lot in the future. And you got to meet Bird. And, yes, I should have mentioned that. And got a, got a chance to talk to Thomas Watts, uh, who is our awesome producer for the second time, and got a chance to meet the man that put this all together 
Bird, and uh, he was in great spirits. And it's Ozzy Newsom, number 82 Alabama jersey, and uh, seemed to be in really good health. And we're hoping to have him back, carry on the show by the Auburn game. And his kilt. Yes. He has a kilt he wears to the tailgate. That's her. <laughs> I don't know. There are no words, really. But if you're on his Facebook or mine, you've seen it. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> so, Drew, it's been another good show. And uh, I, I also was glad to see that you got to uh, – to realize those dreams. And, oh, and also, we can't leave this out. Drew and I got to meet Lance Barnett before the game. Uh, yes, we need to mention that. Very good job out of you, Kerry. Uh, we got the chance to meet him, uh, and, and he, he was also there with his stepdad and with their and, his, and, uh, and Blake's great uncle Jim, and then also a family friend who is a big Alabama fan was with them in their in their party. There was three. There was you know three of them with Lance. Lance is a class act, as always. You know, we're hoping to have him and Blake on next week and focus completely on recruiting, With also with John Garcia, since it'll be a bye week for Alabama. But uh, just a, I just really, really was excited, you know, uh, to meet Lance, and he's been so good to this show. He's been on, He was on the show with Blake, as, they, as everybody knows, back in the summer, and then he will be have his second round up hopefully next week. With Blake having such a great uh, career so far, great senior season, had a great time on the visit, Kerry, and they've got their biggest game coming up Friday. Uh, they play Centennial, who's their biggest rival and uh, who has uh, basically dominated that league. But uh, uh, Santiago will have their opportunity at home uh, this Friday night to play Centennial, and we'll see where it goes. I believe this is their final home game of the year, so should be an emotional night, and it'll be interesting to see how the Sharks come out uh, Friday because Blake has really been uh, playing tremendous football the last two weeks, set a school record with five touchdown passes two weeks ago against Corona, and then a 498-yard effort uh, through the air in a victory this past week against River, uh, King River out of Riverside, California. And, Drew, as you know and as you pointed out, Blake Barnett has become one of Alabama's top recruiters in this class. This is often the case with the, with the marquee quarterback. And he's been dropping some hints, and maybe you can clarify this a little bit, but he's been dropping some hints that Alabama's close to getting another commitment. Yeah, you know, he's he's uh, been working some people. I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they, if they got a commitment soon. Uh, I don't know, you know, I'm still kind of wondering who that may be. Uh, I would, My guess would be Adonis Thomas flipping, as you mentioned, the LJS law because of the, you know, uncertainty with Florida and the very, very, very likely firing of, Will Muschamp, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see where it does go, Kerry, because you know Isaiah Prince doesn't doesn't visit until January, and then Byron Coward had a great visit, but unless he comes back, I'm still not, you know, of the opinion that uh, he'll end up uh, in an Alabama uniform. I want to see him come back for another visit or two before I start kind of buying into that. That's fair, but I think between State and Auburn, he'll be at one of them. But time will tell. Time will tell. Time will tell. And we do want to uh, ask our listeners to uh, continue to pray for Bird uh, and the entire oh, yes. Cal- Calhoun family. Absolutely. Not only for Bird and the chemo he's going through, but also the situation going on with his mom, who was uh, brought home today from the hospitalization. His mom's in, in fairly poor health. And uh, we yes. just continue to pray for the entire family. Uh, they're great people. Uh, just the salt of the earth. Uh, Blip is still waiting to win his first debate with me about Alabama sports, but his day is coming soon, I think. <laughs> but uh, 
you know, if you'll ever come back on the show, flip, I know you're out there. Come on, chump. But anyway, please pray, pray for the uh, Calhoun, Greg, his mom, all of them. And, uh, and Drew, uh, I'm, I'm very glad to have been a small part of your experience this past Saturday. It was kind of neat to watch that. Things I take for granted and seeing you go through it, the coverage of a game for the first time, it, it was really enjoyable to me as, as your friend and as a fellow journalist. Well, I really appreciate that, and I want to, and I want to thank you for allowing me to, to ride up there with you to the game, and uh, and I and I and I. To be honest, if you hadn't given me the opportunity you give me here on Bams, and if I hadn't had Darren Woodruff and some other people, William Barger, give me an opportunity, I probably wouldn't have had a chance to do that. And you guys all played a part in it, and I just hope it can continue to grow, and I just hope I can continue to have experiences like that because it was really unforgive, unforgettable. And hopefully not your last one, because you sure brought us luck on that one. Well, we're about ready to uh, wrap things up here on another edition of Bams Radio. We want to thank Jimmy Stein for coming on as a guest, and of course Big C and Marty and and uh, William from Helena and I mean from Clear, excuse me. Uh, want to thank Thomas Watts from Touchdown Alabama Magazine back in the studio and Drew DeArmond from AlabamaIntel.com for his uh, usual great insights. But we're going to go ahead and sign off on another edition. Of BAMS Radio. I'm Terry Clark from BamaMag.com and Scout.com signing off on another edition of BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Roll Tide, everybody. <laughs>